continue our study in the Old Testament. We're going from Genesis toward Revelation there. We're up to 1 Samuel chapter 19. And getting back into the story, we're going to start reading at chapter 18, down about verse 28, is back in context there. The last statement we saw in verse 27 of chapter 18, it said, Then Saul gave him, talking about to David, uh, Michael, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, and Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. And this tells us a whole lot about what's going on. And it, it sounds like oxygen and oxymoron. As you look at this, it says Saul clearly knew that the Lord was with David. So what's his response? He becomes David's enemy continually. <laughs> it's like, what in the world? You would think if you knew someone was, was being blessed by the Lord, the Lord was working in their life, you might want to encourage them, you know, seeing that you're supposed to be walking with the Lord yourself. But King Saul is in a real bad situation at this time. He's been eaten up by his own jealousy against David. So his reaction is that he's going to be he's making David his enemy. David, David did not intend for that to happen. But let's go jump into chapter 19 now. It says, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. Now, one thing to tell your son, that you want him to go murder someone. And worse yet, you know, it's somebody that your whole family knows. So Saul is so messed up at this point, uh, and his his choices just astound you as you look at this guy. He's supposed to be a great leader for Israel. He's really, really falling down. Now, think about this as far as his son Jonathan. This really puts him in quite a predicament. You know, should he obey his dad or should he disobey him? I mean, do you obey your father who's just told you to murder your best friend? You know, or do you go against your father because you greatly delight in David, it says here. Well, neither one of those is the right answer. The right answer is that when you're told to do something by someone in authority, and they're going against the clear command that the Lord's made, then you obey the greater authority, which is God. He's the highest authority. And this has happened in other places in Scripture, too. You remember when Daniel was told he couldn't pray to God anymore, he had to disobey that order because God's command to pray is coming from the highest authority. Even in the New Testament, you know, the apostles in the book of Acts, remember they were told by the religious leaders to stop teaching or even speaking in the name of Jesus. But their response was, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than the God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So there are times when, as a Christian, we're going to be told things uh, and maybe given a command or an order to do something that's against what God said. And the Christian should obey the Lord at that point, rather than some law that man came up with. Now, the Lord, just to keep a balance on this, the Lord does expect us to be responsible to obey the authorities that are over us, right? And that includes obeying our parents. But when something goes against God's law, we must obey Him 
above any and all other authorities. And that's, the Lord shows us that over and over in Scripture. So we're going to see Jonathan is going to take that path as well. Now, in this situation, if Jonathan was saying, well, I'm going to disobey my dad just because David's a friend of mine, that would have been the wrong answer, you know, because he would have been leaning on his own understanding, just justifying his own reason of why I don't want to do this. But if it's something that God said, well, then that's a whole different story. And then that's, that's why that's the right answer, that we're going to say, well, if God said do not murder, then I cannot do this, okay? And that, that whether David is a friend of his or not, that's irrelevant at this point. It's what did God say? We have to obey him. So again, the principle is, when you're told to do something by someone in authority, and they're going against the clear command that the Lord has made, then you obey the greater authority, which is God. He's the highest authority, okay? And this is the way the Lord sees things. We're not trying to, to uh, change things here. This is the way the Lord teaches us in his word. Now, in this situation, it's going to take a great deal of courage for Jonathan to go against this order of the king. I mean, he's not just that, he's also the king. So let's look at verse 2. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning, and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then when I observe, I will tell you. Now this took amazing courage. Not only is Jonathan disobeying his dad's order to murder David, because he's not going to do that, but he's actually going out of his way to help David and to protect him. And that's going above and beyond. I mean, that's, that's really something to see here. But you know, we shouldn't be too surprised to see this kind of courage in Jonathan. Because he's been very courageous before. You know, but Jonathan, when you think about him, he's really in a very dangerous spot here. If he's found out. Because don't forget that it was dear old dad who had already desired to kill him once before. Remember when Saul thought that his son Jonathan had directly disobeyed him back in chapter 14? You know, Saul tried to kill him then. And the only reason that Jonathan was still alive here in our story is because the rest of the people stood up against Saul. And they said, no, you're not going to kill Jonathan. God just used him to give his victory, so that's not going to happen. So this is a very dangerous thing for Jonathan to do right here, to try and protect David. But we know that Jonathan is a man of great faith. And he knows that he's doing the right thing in the sight of God. And that's what's so important. You know, we need to stand up too when it's the right thing to do. I mean, when we know that the thing we're standing for is the right thing in the eyes of the Lord, then we need to, to stand for that right thing as well. You know, and that's getting more difficult in our culture because the voice of evil has been getting louder and louder. But we need to keep speaking the truth of God Regardless of what our culture tells us, we can't bend under the pressure that tells us to just be tolerant of the evil in our society. We must stand for God's truth. And that's what we're going to see Jonathan do next. I mean, he's, he's really doing some amazing things here. Look at verse 4. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and he said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David. Because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. 
So Jonathan is reasoning with his dad, and he points out some things here. He says that he calls David his servant, you know? And that's the truth. David sees himself as a servant to the king, not his rival nor his enemy. You know, David has always had his servant's heart toward King Saul. Think about this. David has never incited a riot against Saul. He never staged a violent protest against him. You know, but he's always had the servant's attitude towards Saul. And then Jonathan pointed out what, that what David has done so far, his works he calls them here, have always been very good towards Saul. And he's going to explain what he means by that when we look at verse 5. It says, For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought out a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it, and you rejoiced. So David risked his life when he fought Goliath. And he did that for God and country. You know, and Jonathan points out that the Lord worked powerfully through David, and it really blessed Israel. You know, and he says here, as he's pointing this out, when the event actually happened, he said, and and Saul said, Dad, you even rejoiced over this. You saw that it was a good thing. And you were rejoicing in that victory as well. You know, sometimes we need to remind people of the truth when they have forgotten it. And they started to go down the wrong path, which is obviously what's happened to King Saul here. So look at the end of verse 5. This is really, really gets to the point. He says, why then will you sin against innocent blood? To kill David without a cause. I'll tell you what, it takes a lot of courage to speak out for what's right, but it even takes more courage to speak out, speak out there about what's wrong. And that's what he's doing here. He even points out that this would be a sin to do this. Wow. Can you imagine saying that to a king, much less to your own dad? This is amazing courage to stand up and just do what's right. So you think about this, is there anything in our society right now that would be considered wrong and sinful in the eyes of the Lord? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, so the question is, more like how many things in our society right now fit that description, you know? You think of abortion, you think of homosexuality, you think of civil disobedience, rebelling against government authorities, you know, and the murder of police officers. And the list just goes on. So we definitely need to pray for boldness and courage in our day in order to stand for God's truth and that for, to speak up you know, about what's simply wrong in the culture around us. And I know you feel that pressure like I do. You know, just, just be calm, be quiet, don't say anything. But these are sins in the eyes of the Lord. So how can we not stand up for the truth you know, when opportunity arises there? So it's not a time for us to go silent as Christians. But it's a time for us to remind people what God has to say about these evils that are not only going on around us, but they're even being allowed and promoted in our society. And remember, too, we're supposed to speak the truth, you know, and we're supposed to speak that truth in love. So we must keep God's balance on that. Uh, we're not to be arrogant or, or talking down to people, but we need to tell the truth and let them know God loves you. That's why he's telling us these things. These things lead to disaster. They lead to destruction. So we're telling you these things because this is what God sees them as, and it's going to be a horrible thing to ignore what the Lord has said. 
So jump into verse 6 here. It says, So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan. Wow. And Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Amazingly here, you know, King Saul heeded his son's words. In Saul's messed up state of mind, you don't know which way he might respond. Right? He's pretty quick to throw a spear sometimes. So, so you know this is kind of touchy here. And Saul even made an oath. And the words that he used, he was actually saying, I will not allow him to die, which is amazing. So you talk about a flip-flop. He goes from wanting to murder David to saying that he will protect his life. That's an amazing change. Now, wouldn't it have been great if Saul could have kept his word on this? But unfortunately, this good mindset isn't going to last too long for him. Uh, verse 7. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in time past. But you know, it mentions here that Jonathan called David, and he didn't pick up his cell phone and give a holler. Uh, he had to go through some effort to do this. And this is just a good reminder for us as we see these things in Scripture. There's a time element that passes with some of this. So Jonathan gets a hold of David, tells him everything that was said, and uh, then he's able to bring David to Saul, which is just astounding. And uh, then it's telling us David was in his presence as in the time past. So things looked like they were returning to normal at this point, but it wasn't going to be a stable situation. You know, David was still going to have to watch his back. And we'll see that pretty quickly here. And you know, we kind of get that feeling we're at today in our country, if you notice. A lot of pressure against Christianity seemed to be on the rise with the last administration, but we seem to have a reprieve for the moment. However, there's also rumors that, are, that there are powerful political figures who are working in the shadows, and they want to keep things as they are. They don't want anything to go back to the way it was. So uh, they don't want to let up any pressure that's been there that been put on us even recently. So we would be wise to understand that our country isn't very stable either at this point, and we may still need to watch our backs. Uh, and that's why I think we need to get the gospel out and pray and work harder to do the Lord's work while we still have this momentary reprieve, because we don't know how long it might last. So please pray, pray, pray to get the gospel out there. Pray for boldness, pray for courage, pray for strength, pray for wisdom that we might be able to accomplish God's will in this time period that he's given us here. Uh, verse 8 goes on. And there was war again. So everything looked pretty good, and all of a sudden there's war. David went out, and he fought with the Philistines, and he struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. And that's going to cause another problem for King Saul, that David's uh, out there winning victories, but he's doing it for Saul's people and Saul's kingdom. You think he'd be happy about that. You know, here is a reminder to us, as it says, there was war again, that there's always going to be spiritual warfare for Christians. So we need to be ready for constant battle. Our enemy is very consistent. You know, he's persistent. I mean, he's going to keep coming. And the encouraging thing, though, is that our enemy is going to suffer defeat. So we have to go through these warfares and stand for the Lord. Uh, but our enemy eventually is going to back out because God's going to make you do that, which is going to be cool to see. Uh, verse 9 says, Now, the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, 
as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hand. So it's interesting to see what each one is doing with his hands, right? One is worshiping, and one is playing the murder. <laughs> you know? It's like Jesus, when the religious leaders, you know, came against him for healing someone on the Sabbath. Here's Jesus busy healing a hurting individual, while the religious leaders were busy trying to plan how to murder Jesus, an innocent man. So yeah, we see these crazy things going on in the world. It's nothing, nothing too new for us, but it's just a really sad, goofy situation when you notice stuff like this. And we mentioned this last time, but it's, it's not really a good idea to have someone who is plagued by a demonic spirit to be around weapons, much less to have a spear in their hand. But when it's the king, you can't really tell him anything, right? I mean, he's going to do what he's going to do. And let's think about this distressing spirit from the Lord for a minute. Everything seemed to be going good for David at this point, right? He's, he's brought back into the fellowship with King Saul. Uh, he's winning wars, everything looks pretty good. So why send this distressing spirit again and get King Saul in an uproar? I mean, have you thought about that? So here's what's going on. The Lord is still in the process of training David. David still going through training. And to do that, the Lord needed Saul to be going after David. So think about this. Have you ever, ever wondered why something like this happens to you? You know, things seem to be going so well, and then the bottom drops out. And you're just like, what the world? Why did that happen? Well, the answer might be the same for us, you know, depending on the situation, of course. But, but maybe the Lord is still training us. And we have to go through these hard times in order to learn the lessons. So in David's case, he was learning what not to do. Martin was saying, don't be like King Saul, who's only partially obedient to the Lord. You know, he lived in the flesh most of the time. Do not be like him. That's an ugly place to be. And he's letting David see that up real close. So these are hard lessons for all of us to learn. And we got to go through that stuff. So be patient if you're in one of those training sessions from the Lord. You know, he knows what he's doing, so just trust him through that. Then in verse 10, it says, Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. So we see that this here is just supernatural protection from the Lord. I mean, Saul, he's a soldier, and David is very close to him, and yet Saul keeps missing David with his spear. You know, that's, that's the hand of the Lord in helping David and protecting him there. So we know the Lord is divinely protecting his servant, David. You know, we'd probably be surprised, too, to find out how many times the Lord has divinely protected us. You know, I mean, remember that there were a few times we were told people were where they wanted to kill Jesus, remember the religious leaders were wanting to do that, and other folks at different times were upset with Jesus. It says, but he was able to just walk through the crowd and escape. So we shouldn't be surprised that as we follow Jesus, these divine protections have happened for us too. You know? So we pray to thank the Lord one day, I think, when he shows us and says, this here could have happened, and this is going to happen, and this, I stop all these things. You know, he's, he's riding shotgun for us. And we're saying, thank you, Lord, for doing that. So right now we may not notice, but I think later on the Lord will reveal that stuff to us. 
So back in verse 11, it says, Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him, since David escaped, he's going to try to catch him at home, and says him to kill him in the morning. So he's got a, what a plan to set up here. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So she knew her dad well enough that she warned David very sternly that he needed to take action now. You know, don't wait to finish the evening news, David, but go now. So the Lord even used David's wife here to protect him. And remember that she's going against her dad, King Saul, to do this. So we see some amazing courage in her, too. And I think her courage is really promoted by her love for him. If you look at uh, verse 12, it says, So Michael let David down through a window, and he went, and he fled, and he escaped. So David listened to her warning, and he took off. And it was a good thing he did. Verse 13 says, And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So she's doing this to try to give David a chance to get a head start. <laughs> you know, there's some debate here over this image thing too that she used. That word is just normally used to refer to a household idol, but it can also mean a statue or a life-sized image. And when you think about it, and this is the way I see this, it'd be doubtful, I think, that David would allow an idol to be in his home. You know, but like I said, there is some debate over this thing, so if you you have a different view, your good commentators on your side on that one. Uh, nevertheless, though, she was trying to fool the soldiers who were coming for David just to give him a better chance to escape. So, you know, we really can see that, that she loved David here. She's trying to spare his life from her crazy dad's plans for murdering him. Uh, verse 14 goes on. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, and I may kill him. So apparently, these guys you know, believed her when she said that David was really sick, and she, they returned to Saul with the news, and Saul sent him right back, you know, and said, Bring him anyway. So these guys, you think about it, they must have freaked out when David's wife let him peek in the room to see that image in the bed, you know, and the goats hair off. They probably thought, man, that dude looks really nasty stuff, you know. I don't want any part of that. So they took off and went back to Saul. But Saul said, I don't care. You know, if you're afraid of touching him, then just carry his bed here. But I want to kill him. So bring him here any way you have to. So we can see the extreme hatred that Saul has in his heart here. Uh, verse 16. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed. So it was discovered. Says with the cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? <laughs> so they found out about the hoax and her cover up here. And Saul wasn't happy with his daughter. You know, he confronted her here. And we can see from his response that. He was seeing David very clearly here as his enemy, which is, you wonder, why would you see him that way? He's never done anything to you. I mean, that's what Jonathan was telling. The only thing he's done is good, so why would you be so upset? And of course, you know, the Spirit of the Lord has served us up and, and sent from the Lord to do that. 
And how do you like her answer at the end of her? Basically saying they would cut real quick. So she's telling a lie here, and the Lord doesn't condone that. He's just reporting that to us that that's what she did. But uh, yeah, she's she's afraid of that. Rightly so. She knows dad's not too stable. So she's going to try to save her own skin at this point. So verse 18, it says, So David fled, and he escaped. And he went to Samuel at Ramah. And he told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. So David's at a loss here of what to do. He's been trying to serve the Lord, you know, and do all that he was told by King Saul. But now he's running for his life again because of a death threat, you know, that, that the king put on. And so he's got a wanted poster now with his face on it. And he's wondering, what in the world's going on? So you think about poor David in this story. He has to be majorly confused and wondering, you know, what did I do? What, what happened? And he even brings that up in the next chapter when he finally gets to talk with Jonathan. If you look at uh, chapter 20 and the end of verse 1, he's come to Jonathan and he says, What have I done? You know, what is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? It's like, did I really do something to make him hate me this bad? So David apparently isn't aware at this time that the Lord is setting all this up. He's the one who keeps stirring up King Saul against him. And uh, it just doesn't make sense to David, so he's really examining himself. Like, I must have really done something to cause this, but I don't have a clue about what it was. So when we go through those times and we're confused too, just trust the Lord. You know, he knows what he's doing. Uh, David here, you think about it, he did the best thing that you can do when you're a believer and you have all kinds of trouble and confusion in your life, where do you go? He calls on a godly man for advice. He goes to, to find Samuel. He knows this guy's a prophet. He's been walking with the Lord for a long time. And, and he's the one who anointed me in the first place. So I'm going to go and talk to him and just see what he says. Now you think about this. As believers, we've got resources available for us that are exceptional. I mean, we don't need to call a psychic hotline. We don't need to call Dr. Phil or even Oprah for the Lord. Help that lady because she's messed up with these wicked stuff. But we can go to our brother or our sister in Christ who has an instant connection with the Creator of the universe. And they can share with us by prayer and by the Word what God has to say. Now, that's the best comfort and the best advice that anyone could ask for when you think about that. So I'll go on to verse 19. Now, I was told Saul, saying, Take note. David is at Naoth in Ramah. <laughs> I think this is kind of funny. I mean, David's doing everything. He's running, he's hiding, but he's not going to be able to hide because the Lord's going to point him out. You know, it's like, we got we to go through the training, David, so you can run, but you really can't hide because I've got a GPS on you and he's going to find you. <laughs> Boy, it's a tough place to be when you're there, but the Lord, he's in control. And he has to hang in there. Verse 20 says, Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And that phrase there where it says the Spirit of God came upon, that's the same uh, wording that's used in Scripture when someone is Spirit-filled, when the Spirit comes upon someone. So apparently, when we look at the story here, Samuel had set up a type of school for prophets where he was training young men 
who says God's calling on their life to be a prophet, and he's going to help them grow in this and do what God's called to do. So this is where he took David, apparently, to this school of prophecy. And the amazing and hilarious thing that happened here when the soldiers showed up was that they instantly became spiritual and they started prophesying too. <laughs> you know, so I'm sure they gave up any ideas of Bernie David or anybody else for that matter. They were so overcome by the power of the Spirit that all they could do was start prophesying. You know, that's really funny. Like somebody said, these guys came to overpower David, but the Lord overpowered them in return. You know, and I've heard of this kind of thing happening in people's lives when they weren't expecting it. And I don't know about you what happened, but I, I know in my own life, when I was filled with the Spirit the first time, it took me by surprise too. I wasn't expect expecting anything like that to happen because it wasn't in my theology at the time. But, you know, looking back, I'm extremely glad that the Lord did that, that He overpowered me with His Spirit. And then now for us in the New Testament, for us to, to have that happen to us, to be filled with the Spirit, we just have to surrender ourselves completely to the Lord, and that uh, we can ask Him, you know, and then receive by faith that the Lord is going to fill us with His Holy Spirit. And in case anybody's interested, I'd be glad to speak with you more about that afterwards, so just come and see me and let me know. Uh, verse 21 goes on, and when Saul was told, you know, where, where David can be found here, and what happened with all his prophets and everything, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. And you know, <clears throat> excuse me, this is all in just one verse right here, right? But there was a time lapse in between these events. So imagine Saul hearing the news that the first group you sent, well, they got close enough to kill him, but then they all started prophesying. You felt like everybody else that was standing around there. And Saul's going to be upset about that, so he's going to send another group of soldiers, you know, and then having to wait again until the news comes back, uh, what happened when these guys got there, the same thing. You know, so I imagine that in a mixture here of extreme frustration with, you would think a little bit of concern too, you know, and it would have really been nice if the light would have come on and he would have realized he's fighting God on this stuff, you know, and then it would have caused him to repent. But Saul was in the flesh at this point and very determined to stay in the flesh, unfortunately. They have more helps than we, we sink like that and our flesh gets the upper hand and it just tell us, stay here, stay here, don't move, don't repent, don't do nothing, just stay right here. That's an ugly place to be. And I imagine you've probably all been there before and know that situation. Uh, verse 22, it says, Then he also went to Ramah, and he came to the great well that is at Sekju. So he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? So he's going to come down here himself. And someone said, and Indeed, they are at Naoth in Ramah. Again, that GPS is beeping and going off, but he's going to find it. So he finally decides to go himself. But you know what they say? If you want something done right, do it yourself. At least that's what they say in a lot of ways as a perfectionist. <laughs> so uh, verse 23 goes on. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and he prophesied until he came to Nahum and Rahul. So even when he gets close, the Spirit comes on him and he starts prophesying. He's still headed that direction. So verse 44, it says he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner. 
And he lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? <laughs> so in the very modest culture of the Jewish people this time, it probably doesn't mean that he became entirely naked, but that he took off his outer garments. You know, and that's what they would have considered running around uh, naked there. Uh, nevertheless, though, it does show the Lord humbled him at this point. And I see it very interesting because he took off his kingly garments. And this was prophetic for the future, right? He was going to be stripped of his title and his position by the Lord. And that was already been prophesied about him. Now think about David at this point. He's been running for his life. And now these soldiers show up to take his life in three different groups. You know, not counting the king himself showing up after them. And every one of these people who came to try to kill David, they were totally disarmed by the Lord and actually brought on the Lord's side. So this was part of David's training too. And this is so encouraging when you think about this. You know, the Lord was, was letting David see up close again that God had his back. He didn't have to worry about it. You know, David didn't have to worry about his life. He didn't have to worry about his future because the Lord was in control and the Lord was very capable of protecting him. So as believers today, we can receive this message from the Lord too. You know, he has your back. He loves you very much. You don't have to worry about what's going on in your life right now. You don't have to worry about your future. The Lord is in control. You know? If he's got it, he's going to take care of things. So he's very capable of protecting you. You have no need to be afraid. And, and this is just a really encouraging passage to us. So I hope that your company today just receive that from the Lord. You know, it's funny too. And by the way, your King Saul at the end when the people started thinking, is Saul one of the prophets? You know, <laughs> he was prophesying here for such a long time, apparently some of the folks were thinking, is he changing professions? He was the king, he's going to now become the prophet, you know. So, this is funny because it's a passage that really shows the Lord has a sense of humor, you know. And uh, we see that once in a while in different places, but uh, this is one that really stands out for us. Saul, I'm sure he thought, I've got, it. I've got it going here. I've got this first group. They're going to take David out. Any minute they'll bring back the news. Nope. Second group, they'll take care of it for sure. Nope. Third group, thinking third time's a charm. Okay. Nope, not here. He's <laughs> probably going himself. He's thinking he's got this one. And the Lord's saying, no, I got this one. <laughs> you know? So if, if you're going through it right now, if there's stuff that you're facing, if you're wondering what's going on, everything is going fine, why, why is the boat being locked again? It's because God's in control, and He knows what He's doing. So just trust Him. Just hang in there with Him. We're going we're gonna to stop at this point, and uh, I, I pray you get a chance just maybe to read through this passage again if you need that encouragement, because there's some great things in here about Saul. Uh, his anger against David, and God's pure protection that David had going for him. So there's not a problem with that at all. Uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word of truth and how you encourage us, Lord. Father, today we just want to praise you as you gave us a chance to celebrate communion, uh, the life that we have in Christ, and it's all about Jesus. And the Lord, here as we see uh, the times that you allow David to go through this training, 
Lord, as we go through that training as well, help us to stay encouraged. Help us to stay comforted by you, knowing that if you've got us, you've got our back, you've got our future. And we just have to hang in there with you. Father, if someone is here today and you're really struggling, I pray, Lord, your, your word would just pick them up and, and let them know how much you love them and how much you care. If someone is here today that doesn't know Jesus, I ask you, Lord, help them to, to humble themselves today, acknowledge they're a sinner, and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That they might have their sins completely washed away and, and know that their sins have been forgiven. And Lord, as Jesus said, it is finished. We thank you that he, he gave us that message of the cross. And we thank you that you raised her from the dead to prove you accepted his sacrifice. So, Lord, speak to everyone's heart today. For those who know you, I pray you encourage you. For those who don't know you, today, Lord, let it be the day you find salvation in Christ. And we give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You like to stand for the final song?